0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com.
1: This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. You are not friends if you do not. Dear Lord, we come before you, and we just thank you for today. We thank you that we get to um, just to be alive and be able to to walk and, and function and um, just to be here together as a community, as a family in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you um, open our minds and our hearts to what you may be speaking to us today. I pray for any, um, just against any distractions or any things that are keeping our hearts um, somewhere else, or keeping our minds um, not here, Lord, but I pray that we're present with you. Uh, I pray that you speak through Randall, and the words that we hear are not his, but from your spirit, Lord. Be with us this time. Bless it in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thanks, Byron. Good morning. All right, well, welcome this morning to Grace City, and again, happy Mother's Day to our mothers here. Can we just give it up for moms? Yeah. All right, um, now we're going to be continuing our series, uh, and we started it last week, but it, it's, it's called Abide. Abide, and so we're in uh, John 15, and, and we're studying through this, and, and one of the, the things that Jesus tells us is that in our Christian walk, one of the things that we do is we abide in Him. And so if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back, listen to that message if you're wondering, like, what does this mean? Um, but really, it's just to rest and, and be in Him. And, and really, the Christian walk is not trying harder or doing more, but it is resting in Jesus. It's resting in what God has done for us. And so today, um, you know, what, what do we, we know is like the fruit Of someone who has been abiding or resting in Jesus. Uh, What we find from this passage is it's really one main thing. Love. Love. Like true love. And so today the message is this. Transforming love. Transforming love. Now in his 1993 hit dance single, singer Hathaway, Ask the question we've all wondered at one point or another throughout our life. And it's this, what is love? What is love? So you're seeing R- Night at the Roxbury. What is love? What is it? It's confusing. It's a, it's a good question, right? You think back. I'm not going to sing this song for you. <laughs> I know you're like, what, is he going to do it? No. We're going to do it. But really, we, we, we ask this question, like, what is, is love? The New York Times has a section on the website that they have online. It's called Modern Love, and it has articles about the difficulties of love. and Here's the caption for this section on their website: A series of weekly reader-submitted essays that explore the joys and tribulations of love. We we all have different experiences of what love is. And so we have ideas about what it, it is and we just put modern in, in front of it and you're like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Modern love. What is modern people? What do we modern people think about love today? It's just attractive to us because we don't know. Here's the truth love is messy, it's hard to understand, it hurts. What is love? So as we explore the idea of love, we we must start with the question, not how does the world define love, but how does God define love? What What does God say that love is? First John 4, 8 says this. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now in the original text, it it makes it very clear the the, the structure of it that it's it's God is love, not love is God. Because in our world we think, well, all we need is love, right? And and love is just the, the answer to all things. And love is the center of all things. And what we do is we try to make love God. But the structure of that sentence makes it very clear that God is love. Now, who is God? God is from the very beginning, we see in Genesis, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, God, in loving relationship for all of eternity. And so God is the definition of of love. And, And so today, that's what we're gonna talk about. What does it mean to be in relationship with this God that is love? And what does it look like for us to inevitably, inevitably become people of love, not because we are loving people, but because there's a God that has loved us so much that it flows out of our lives. True, authentic love. C.S. Lewis once said, Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. See, a, a lot of the way that we've defined love in our world is by feelings. I feel like I love this person. I feel like we have a loving relationship. But what happens when the feelings go? Most of the time what happens is our commitment falls to the wayside. What God says is that my commitment to you, my love for you, doesn't change. When feelings come and go, God's love is consistent. And so... What is God's love like? Uh, our text today is John 15, 12 through 17. And in this text, God defines and also empowers us to love. And so we're going to break it down in three ways. The f- and, and so I'm going to give you all three up front. Here's, here's what it is. He gives us, first, his standard. Second, his sacrifice. And third, his sustaining power. His standard His sacrifice his sustaining power and so the first one is this as we look at the text today you'll see it in verse 12 his standard his standard look at verse 12 Jesus says this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you Jesus makes it very clear that there is a commandment there's a standard of love that we are called to adhere to. And so it's not a suggestion. It is a commandment that Jesus gives us. But he brings it to life. He brings it to life because what he says next is he says as I have loved you. The only way that we can have this type of love and know what it is is When we know the love of Jesus. And so Jesus is the standard. Now, some of you know this, but I have three kids, and one of the things that is a commandment that is pretty clear in our household is this commandment. And and we go into our kids' room, and in, in they're in the same room, right? They're hanging out. They're playing. One of the things we, me and my wife has, have said to them is, okay, guys, just love one another. Love one another. Hang out. Share. It's going to be good. We throw some toys. You guys just chill. We're going to go do, you know, clean up the house, whatever. Ten minutes later, we realized it didn't work. It didn't work. And here's the thing. We we set the standard. We said, okay, here's the standard. You guys love one another. My wife, the other day, we're sitting down and she says, I just want our kids to just love each other. To just love each other. I want them to be best friends. Because you know, like in so many families it's, it's really rough. Like there are like sibling rivalries and tensions and all this stuff. And And one of our prayers from the beginning is just like, we we just want our kids to love one another. But here's what I know. It doesn't happen naturally when I throw some toys in a room. (laughs) Go love each other. It's a commandment from mom and dad. Doesn't work. See, there's a major problem that arises when we approach God's commandments, His standards. Here's the problem. We think we can do God's commandments without God. We think we can step into being people who live out the Ten Commandments or any commandments that we find in Scripture and say okay, that's what God commands me. And so we try to go do it on our own. On our own strength. On our own ability. And and what we find is that's not how it works. See, throughout the Bible God gives us commands. But these commands are meant to point us to our inability more than our ability. More of how I can not do it more than I can. That's where it starts. So as Jesus looks at his disciples, he looks at them and says, this is my standard. But the only way you can uphold this is knowing how I loved you. How I Have lived this out before you. See, in 2008, social philosopher Jacob Needleman wrote a book called, Why Can't We Be Good? In the book, he depicts the individual human as a being who knows what is good, yet who remains mysteriously helpless to innerly adopt the ethical, moral, and religious ideas that are given to him. People interviewing him did not know what to do with him. When they interview him about this book, okay, so what you're saying is we can't do it. He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, so what do you do with that? And really, he he didn't know. But he's like, this is the truth. We can't fulfill the laws that our hearts know we need to. We can't be good. So, what does it mean to love one another? Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. See, the resources in which Jesus asks his disciples and us to pull from is not our inherent ability to be loving people, but to pull from his infinite love for us. Again, transforming love. Do you believe that God could love you like that? See, you say, well, that's fine and all for Jesus' disciples. I mean, they were there with him, but tangibly, how do I experience that in my life? How do I experience the love? I didn't live 2,000 years ago. How do I know Because I'm not sitting there eye to eye with Jesus as he's telling me this and walked the earth with him for three years like his disciples did. How do I know that Jesus loves me like that? What's in our second point? His sacrifice. Look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. In this verse, Jesus gives the DTR moment. You know what that means? Define the relationship moment. <laughs> Jesus defines the relationship right here. He says, you want to you know who I am? You want to know if we have a relationship? You want to know if you're my friend? He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. See, Jesus tells us that those he loves are so valuable that he would die for them. He's not just throwing this great quote out there like, oh yeah, anybody who's a, a real friend, they would die for their friend. No. He's saying, friends, this is what I'm doing for you. See, he's willing to give the ultimate sacrifice for his friends. See, how will his disciples know his He has true love for them. It's as they are scattering and He's going to the cross. As they're fleeing for their lives. And Jesus is going to die for them. See, they they did not have the innate love to love Jesus as Jesus was loving them through everything that they were going to go through. And so how do you and I know that Jesus loves us? You have to look at the cross. You have to look at the cross and say, even in my rebellion, even in my times of rejecting God, that God would go to the cross for me. Right? Greater love has no one than this, that He, someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus later says that you know if it's a master-slave relationship which most of the time we think that our relationship with God is right we don't like how could God be my friend so I've got to be like obedient to God and and I'm just like his slave and I you know I just got to go do all these things for God but Jesus takes it and he says no like I'm your friend the concept that the God of the universe could be our friends should be shocking to us. And so how do we know for Jesus' friends? Jesus says your love will show by obeying what he has commanded. Are there signs of obedience to Jesus in your life? Are there things that you would say, okay, if it wasn't for Jesus, I would have never done that. All because of Jesus. D.A. Carson, commentator on this verse, says, Obedience is not what makes them friends. It's what characterizes his friends. See the difference on that. It doesn't make you a friend just because you're obeying Jesus. It's no it's it's what characterizes it It what it's what comes out of your life It's character Characteristics of this the beta test of whether you know his love or not is how you love others So let me ask Do you play well in the sandbox Are there signs of self-sacrificing love in your life? Or are there patterns of splintered relationships everywhere you go? Jesus tells us his friendship will transform us into real friends. His love will transform us into people who love. His sacrifice, his selfless sacrifice, will transform us into people who selflessly sacrifice. You say, well, well, I get that, but like, how does that last? How does that last? He tells us in the last point in verse 16, it's this, his, his sustaining power. Look at verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus ends by telling his disciples something very important. <laughs> they were not loved because they were smarter. They were not loved because they were cream of the crop. They, they were not loved because they were just more talented and had that it factor about them, as much as they wanted to believe it, Jesus makes sure to tell them, I chose you. I chose you. And here's the reality. Today, if you are a Christian, it's because he chose you. That, that weirds us out, right? Like we're like, how, what does that mean? It means that God loved you in abundant grace, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you just outthought other people and said, yeah, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There, there's no room for pride in this. We must ask for a minute, who are the guys that Jesus chose? The lowly, the unlikely, the outcasts, the rebel. These guys didn't fit in. And if you were to take all 12 of these guys and put them in a room without Jesus, they would not play well together. They wouldn't have. But because of Jesus... Jesus says, love one another. See, God chose them purely out of grace. Undeserved love, favor. Him reminding them of this is meant to keep them humble and help them remember that the only way they can do anything is by God's power, not their own. been reading through Psalm 62. I just read it the other day, and it says, all power belongs to God. All power belongs to God. It's not ours. It's his. And if you want the power of God to be in your life, it's not going to be because of you. It's going to be because of him coming to him. See, Jesus tells his disciples, I chose you, I appointed you, I will bear fruit in you, I will make it last. It's not on your strength, it's God's sustaining power. Like I said, many times we approach the scriptures and we say, how do I do it? And if, if we come to the scriptures with that type of attitude, we will either be very prideful because we think we've done it, but we'll do it in the wrong spirit. Or we'll be crushed because we say, I, I could never do this. I could never be this. And the gospel way is the third option where he says, you can't do it, but I can through you. The love that you need in your life has to be the love that I Work in you one takeaway today and, and this is this is it and I want to share a story with you um, because you say well this is really where the rubber meets the road right here and I think this story really helps us today and so I'm gonna read some of it but it's it's a story that happened um, after World War II, now during World War II, uh, Corey Ten Boom—if you don't know who she is—her family harbored hundreds of Jews to protect them from the arrests of Nazi authorities. And what happened to her family was they were betrayed. They were betrayed by a fellow Dutch citizen, and so the entire family was imprisoned. And Corey survived. And God used her to do uh, amazing things. Worldwide ministry was started. And what she would do is she told her story. And and in the book, The Hiding Place, it really, it it gives this, this particular story. Because in this book, she describes an experience of what happened when she met with one of the soldiers that was in the concentration camp that she was in the guard after the war. So here's what she said. First, she started her talk off by saying, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest ocean gone forever. And this is her speaking now. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. So she would go and give these talks in Germany. People stood up in silence. And silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. This man had been a guard at Ruckensbrook, at Ravensbrook, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out a fine message. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand He would not remember me of course How could he remember? one prisoner among those thousands of women But I remembered him It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I had become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, again, the, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there my sister had died in that place could he erase her slow terrible death simply for the asking could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand out, the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms, sprang into our joined hands, and then this feeling. This this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What transforms us what helps us to forgive in the moments where we feel like it's the most unforgivable thing the hurt the pain all of it it's God's power flowing through us it's God transforming us from the inside out so what is love It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. Listen, this is John, who I want to fill you in on John just a little bit, the writer of this gospel, who is one of Jesus' closest friends. John says this. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers that's it Jesus transformed a guy who is known as a son of thunder him and his brother James were known as the sons of thunder that was their nickname angry men Jesus transformed them to the apostle of love. The apostle of love. How did he become that? Because he knew that Jesus had laid down his life for him. See, it's not saying I'm going to go be a more loving person. It's saying I believe that God loved me first. God forgave the unforgivable in me. And he loved me to my very depths of who I am. And it becomes real in our lives by praying simple prayers like Corey Ten Boom, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. See, I don't have what it takes, but I believe that Jesus will supply everything I need. And the fruit that lasts is because Jesus did it through me, not because I produced it in myself. See, it's in that place, abiding, resting in him, that he, ch- he changes us. He transforms us. It's a transforming love. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you asking for your guidance, your help, your protection. Lord, you're enough. You gave us yourself. And so help us to know that the gospel is enough for us today. (laughs) There There are hurts, there are pains that are all throughout this room. There are moments where we say, how could I ever forgive? Help us to see Jesus. Help us to experience his love. That power flowing through us to do what we could have never done on our own. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.